you turning to Psalm 51, Psalm 51 is a very interesting psalm of David. And before you begin to read it, uh, it says, A prayer of repentance to the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So if you don't know the story, uh, David, he should have been out fighting the battles, but he stayed behind. And while he was on the roof, he looked down and he saw beautiful Bathsheba, and uh, she was a married woman. Uh, Uriah was, was her husband. And he went down and he slept with her, and she became pregnant while, his, while her husband was in uh, the armed forces out there in the battle. So David brought her husband home and tried to encourage him to sleep with the wife so that, uh, the, he wouldn't, so that he would think it was his pregnancy, but he refused to do it because why would he lie with his wife? Whereas when his friends and, and uh, colleagues in the armed forces were, were in such a difficult place... And so in the end, what David did to cover his sin is uh, when Bathsheba's husband went back into the battle, David made sure that the enemies killed him. And uh, then when uh, Nathan came to him and confronted him with his sin to begin with, David didn't recognize that it was him that was ta talking about. He spoke about somebody having a great, great flock of sheep and then uh, stealing the sheep of somebody else and killing them to keep that sheep. And David was furious that anybody would do that. And Nathan said, you are the man. That's what you've done. And at that point, David became a broken man. And this passage of repentance here, you can read at your leisure, but uh, where I want to take you to is verse 17, where it says this, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Brokenness before God is a very a powerful spiritual principle. Here's a couple of other scriptures to meditate on later. Psalm 34 verse 18. Psalm 34 18 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Psalm 147 verse 3. Psalm 147 verse 3. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up the wounds. And here, Isaiah 57, verse 15. Isaiah 57, verse 15. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who in inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. And here linked to this Matthew 5, 2, one of the Beatitudes. And Jesus opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This picture of David. David had been so successful. He'd been anointed of the Lord. Uh, to begin with, in his early years, before he came king, he was very much 
spiritually broken before the Lord. And I'll explain what being spiritually broken is because it's a positive thing. Before he became king, he spent many years in the wilderness. Do you remember Adullam's cave where he had to hide out? He'd been anointed king many years before, but it was going to take a long time before he became king. He was a hideaway. He had to flee to other countries. He had a band of, of, of all types of, uh, of men that were coming from bad backgrounds linked to him. It was a very difficult time, and yet he had a brokenness about him, a reliance on God is what we're talking about when we talk about brokenness. There were times when, there was a couple of times when he could have taken Saul's life. Saul was trying to take his life all the time because Saul was not a broken man, not spiritually broken before the Lord, but he was arrogant. Saul even even sacrificed when the Lord told him not to do it and he did it anyway. But David had Saul in his hand a number of times and there was one time when he was so close to Saul that he cut off a part of Saul's cloak with, without Saul even realizing it. And afterwards, when he realized what he'd done, because all the men around David were saying, you should have killed him. But when he realized what he'd done, that he'd cut a little bit off the, clo- off the cloak of Saul, he was devastated. Why? Because he knew that his life and his destiny were all entwined with God's promises and God's grace. He knew it was God that had plucked him from the sheep and anointed him with the, by the prophet Samuel, ready for greatness. And, and that knowledge kept him humble, kept him lowly, kept him contrite. He didn't have to force his hand. He didn't have to slay Saul, who he knew had been God's anointed. But instead he said to himself, Lord, if this is your plan, then you will do it, and I won't rise up, but I will just simply trust you. He had a contrite heart. But here in this uh, passage, just before with this whole Bathsheba scenario, he had got so successful, he'd forgotten his brokenness and his reliance on the Lord. He was used to success. He was used to winning battles. He was now the established king. He had everything, if you like, that God had promised him. And that meant that he was actually, in a sense, at his most vulnerable to the enemy and to sin crouching at the door. Because he had everything, he grew strong in his own mind. He, he could do things without the Lord. Everything was working for him. Everything was great. He had lost his sense of contrition and his brokenness and reliance on the Lord. He had many, many, many wives. He had everything that he wanted and more. God gave him a victory wherever he went. He was so victorious, he decided he wouldn't go into battle anymore. And then that story happened. He saw her. He liked her. Why shouldn't? he have her. He could have who he wants. After all, he was the king. Then he was embarrassed because she was pregnant, so he manipulated her faithful husband and then in the end had him killed. Why not? He was the king. He could do whatever he want and the men that he commanded to do this terrible act, well, they obeyed him implicitly because such was his strength. But when you read here, you see that God allowed a brokenness to come into his life through a great 
judgment. And what we see in Psalm 51 is David back to the way that he'd used to be. You do not desire sacrifice or burnt offerings, but the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. He realized his arrogance. He realized that uh, he had strayed away from the Lord and become strong in his own eyes. And though everybody thought he was successful and close to God, somewhere down that line of success, his heart had wandered so far from God that it would commit adultery and then murder, and he wouldn't even think he was wrong. He didn't even recognize himself in Nathan's parable. But from this moment on, although it was a terrible, terrible lesson for him to learn, and I bet he, he regretted it all his life because that sin with Bathsheba and the murder not only affected him, but it would affect the kingdom to come. It had great ramifications. He had such great responsibility that the abuse of that responsibility also affected those over whom he would rule. But when you look at his life after this, you see that he walked in brokenness for the rest of his life. Even uh, when his own son, Absalom, who was not a broken man before the Lord, but an arrogant man who went at the city gates and demanded the attention of all and felt that it was his right to be king. Even when his son Absalom was in direct rebellion, uh, David would not do anything against him. He loved him too much and he was broken and he trusted in the Lord now to fight his battles as he had done in the earlier days. It's a picture of brokenness. And uh, there's, a, there's a, a, a verse that I, of, I often think about. It's a little bit out of context, but I think that's okay, as long as I tell you it's out of, a little bit out of context. And it's uh, in Matthew chapter 21, verse 44. And Jesus is speaking about being the stone that the builders rejected. And he said that the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing fruits of it. But here it is in verse 44. And Jesus says, and whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. Now, I think he's talking about the fact that because he's been rejected and they've rejected this stone, this stone will turn around and judge them. And that took place in AD 70 and subsequent uh, Roman destruction of Israel. But this, this verse always makes me think, whoever falls on the stone will be broken. Well, that's one thing. But on whoever it falls, they will be ground to powder. And the way I sort of take this as an illustration uh, prophetically is this, is that if we come to Jesus and that we fall on him and allow ourselves to be spiritually broken, we'll be in a very healthy place. In other words, you don't want to go through a David experience before you write that David psalm of brokenness. On the contrary, you want to be like David at the beginning of his life when he was spiritually broken. What I mean by spiritually broken is he was totally reliant on the Lord. He knew that he couldn't do anything without the Lord. He didn't want to do anything without the Lord. He refused to assert his own strength and power, but he relied on God to do it. That's what spiritual brokenness is, to know your need of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, 
for theirs is the kingdom of God. What does that mean? It means that they're poor in spirit, that they recognize that everything they have and everything they are and everything that they can hope for comes from God. And if they achieve anything without God, it's not worth achieving. There's a sense of emptiness that they recognize will only be filled by God. And so whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but whomever falls, it will grind him to powder. Another way of looking at this is to pick up our cross and follow him. In other words, obedience to the Lord can be a very breaking uh, experience. When we trust the Lord, when we're obedient to the Lord, even against our own wishes, these types of of activities in our lives can, can be very breaking when you go God's way and not your way. When you do it God's way and not the way of the flesh. It can be very breaking. You can feel very vulnerable when you allow or, or seek to allow the fruit of the Holy Spirit to be your guiding principles and to manifest out of your life. To be a man or woman of peace to be a man or woman of kindness, to be a man or woman of generosity of heart, to be a man or woman of faithfulness, to be a man or woman of gentleness, especially when you have power that you could abuse, to be a man or woman of self-control for the sake of the kingdom, to try and allow this fruit of the Holy Spirit, which is what God is trying to create in our lives and, and what the Holy Spirit is seeking us to partner in. As we do these things, it can be a very breaking scenario. It can be very hard. It can be very difficult. Knowing that if you go God's way, then uh, you might not get your way. It is a humbling, breaking thing. I think of Jacob. Jacob was a man that needed to be broken. And uh, his whole life, until he met with the Lord in that wrestling match in Genesis 32, um, verse uh, 24, Genesis 22, verse 24, his whole life until that point had been a life of no spiritual brokenness at all. God had given Jacob promises. He'd said even before Jacob was born, it was prophesied that the elder would serve the younger. God was going to exalt him and God was going to give him the inheritance. But he pursued that inheritance without spiritual brokenness. He didn't rely on the Lord or the Lord's promises. He he didn't say, well, the Lord's going to do this, so I don't have to fight for it. And even when it looks like I'm not going to get it over the years, as his elder brother didn't die or anything like that, and, and was getting to the place where the inheritance was going to come, instead of saying, I trust you, Lord, I can't see how this... Instead of going to the Lord in brokenness and dependency, what did he do? Well... Well, with the help of his mother, he fooled and lied his, to his farm, to his father, when, when he when when he went to him and uh, got the blessing, pretending to be Esau. Uh, and uh, not only that, he then fooled his brother or, or, or put his brother in a difficult situation, where for a pot of lentils he sold his birthright to Jacob. None of this was God's plan because this is not the way that God works. God doesn't work by telling children to fool their parents. Isaac was so distressed by the trick that had been paid upon him that he was literally physically shaken. And uh, Esau was so 
angry with what had happened to him that he swore vengeance on his brother. And then his brother had to travel over and, and flee all of this to Laban. And there Laban, well, Laban was even more unbroken than Jacob and taught Jacob a few lessons through his daughters Leah and Rachel. Well, Jacob would eventually get the blessing, but this, this lack of brokenness was actually negatively breaking him. So in other words, not being spiritually broken will actually be, be very detrimental to your mental, physical and spiritual health. So being spiritually broken is wholeness. Increasing spiritual brokenness, reliance on the Lord, consecration to the Lord, will bring increasing wholeness, broken yet whole, yet not increasing in spiritual brokenness will actually entail wounding, uh, a breaking of a negative type, type. Because sometimes when you talk about, oh, you need to be broken, it's like, broken? I came to Jesus because I was already a broken, shattered mess of a person. We're not talking about being a broken, shattered mess of a person. But let me tell you something. If you don't pursue the path of brokenness in your life, you may well end up a broken, shattered person of a Christian rather than a whole person. Can you see how, how, how this is worked? So Jacob, Jacob got to the place where the angel visited him and, uh, you know, only Jacob would wrestle with God. <laughs> Isaac learnt the lessons, uh, and uh, uh, Isaac, he, he would never have wrestled with God. Isaac, if, the, if God had come and jumped on him, Isaac would have just stayed still. After all, he didn't wrestle with Abraham, did he? When Abraham took him as a young man up on that mountain to sacrifice him, he yielded, let God's will be done, even though I'm going to be sacrificed. Jacob would have never, ever, ever allowed his grandfather, Abraham, to take him up that hill. He'd have said, you're not putting me on a sacrifice, grandfather. I'll put you on the sacrifice. I'm bigger than you, stronger than you, and that's not, that's not happening to me. And, uh, uh, but Jacob, here he is, and he's wrestled, and he's wrestled, and he's wrestled, and he keeps wrestling. And uh, people say, oh, isn't it wonderful how Jacob wrestled with God? Not really. Not really. Uh, I, I understand what preachers are saying, but why would you wrestle with God? He wrestled with God because he was not broken. But in the end, God had his way and put out the socket in his hip. I won't let go till you bless me. God blessed him. But at the end of that interaction with God, when Jacob walked away, he walked away differently, didn't he? He walked with a, a limp. You know, I've heard the saying by preachers, and it's, it's quite a good saying, never trust a person that doesn't walk with a limp. <laughs> and what they are referring to is Jacob. In other words, never trust a person that hasn't been in some way broken or disabled by God so that they need to rely on him. The rest of his life, whenever he moved, Jacob would remember how God had put his hand in the socket and caused him to be disabled. By the way, when Jacob finally met Pharaoh, it was a sorry tale. 
all that stuff he'd gone through by not being broken for so long in his life. And when he met Pharaoh, I don't remember the passage, the actual verse, but when he met Pharaoh, he says to Pharaoh, my days have been hard and terrible and uh, look at me, I'm, I'm an absolute shattered person. But Abraham wasn't like that at the end of his life. He was as strong as an ox, as strong as he'd already been. Why? Because he was broken early on in his life. He had to learn his lessons too. He had his Ishmaels and God had to teach him to trust him and to be broken and to do it God's way by the spirit and faith and promises and not his way. But he learned his lesson. Isaac, Isaac was the best in all of this. Isaac trusted God so much and was so broken before the Lord that he only needed one wife and God brought him the right wife and he opened his eyes as he was praying in the evening in the fields and saw his wife and uh, his wife was barren like his father's uh, like his mother had been barren but he took it to the Lord and in one verse she was healed and uh, when they told him you're too powerful for us and the king said leave us instead of destroying them which he could Jacob would have he simply said you know what all my blessing is from the Lord. I'm a man of peace. I'm a man of the fruit of the Spirit. I'll go God's way. And he left and went back into a, a land of barrenness. He wouldn't even raise his hand against some shepherd boys over one well, two well, three wells. He said, let them have it. God will provide. Isaac is an incredible picture of someone that is spiritually broken. You know, to, to many people, broken things are despised as worthless but God can take what has been broken and remake, remake it into something better. If you have come to the Lord and you have been broken throughout life, maybe you've had some terrible experiences. I'm not talking about spiritual brokenness now, but you've got a broken personality. You've, you've, got, you've, got, a, you've got broken emotions because of the wounds that you've gone through, either self-inflicted or inflicted on you by others. You've been broken many times on life's wheel. And then you come and you find the Lord. And uh, you come and, and it's not spiritual brokenness, but there's so much brokenness in your life. Well, guess what? Jesus' manifesto in Luke chapter 4 is this. I have come to heal the brokenhearted. That's part of his major plan. You'd think, oh, he's come to heal the sick and raise the dead and preach sermons and, and his manifesto in Luke 4. Well, that, well, that's true. But one of his major, major desires was to heal the brokenhearted, those that, that life had broken. It's not the spiritual brokenness, that's the negative brokenness. And there may be some of us here today, uh, and we need a new level of healing in our, in our, broken, uh, our brokenness that, that is not of, the, of God, but is a brokenness that's negative and come from the world. And we want to pray for you tonight. We're believing that perhaps there is special grace for an inner healing touch. Also, keep alert for when we have our weekends away, our women's encounters weekends away, our men's encounters weekends away. They're coming up very soon because that's a whole weekend where we deal with these issues, where we try to heal the brokenness that the world perhaps has, has caused to your life, but also to encourage you to be spiritually broken, which is a, a new reliance on God that actually brings you into a place of health and wholeness. God wants to restore us. 
God wants to transform us. But he does that. He heals our brokenness from a fallen world by our brokenness spiritually before him, a contrite heart. It's amazing how God is with those that humble themselves in their heart. In their heart. You, know, you know what sin God really, really hates? You see this in Proverbs again and again and again. It's the sin of pride. It's the sin of pride, which means, which says, I don't need God. Or assumes God is on your side. And this pride, this self, this self, and sometimes people can be uh, blinded by their own pride. Blinded. They don't even realize that they're proud. They don't even realize. They think they're broken because they haven't come to, the God, to God and said, search me and try me and see if there's something in me that needs to be broken that I might be whole. The sin of pride, the sin of self, the sin of assertion. All the works of the flesh that you can find in Galatians 5, uh, all those things are the opposite to brokenness, which is the fruit of the Spirit, which I've already mentioned to you. And of course, a, bro- a, spirit, a person that is spiritually broken in the correct sense is someone that's able to love. They can love others without love in return because they know that they're loved from God. They can be rejected. Uh, they, 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 can be, they, they can be spoken ill of. But because they're spiritually broken and they are learning to rely on God in every area of their life, although they might be pained that you've rejected them because of Christ, uh, it won't break them because their, their sense of assurance and worthwhile has come by being spiritually broken and reliant on the Lord. The broken things of life are very special to God. God has a great heart for the humble, the spiritually broken, but he also has a great heart for those that life has broken in a terrible way. He spends his time with the prostitutes, bringing them to the Lord, to the sinners, to those on the outside, to those that were broken. And those that felt that they were whole, he said, I haven't come to heal uh, the doctor does not, the physician doesn't come to heal the well, but the sick. And the problem with the Pharisees is that they were the least broken type of people in the Gospels. And yet they thought that they were the closest to God. And yet the prostitute that, that, that cried over his feet in the Pharisee's house, she was more whole than that Pharisee who knew all the scripture, had been all through the schools, was a professional minister and was saying to himself, why has this this rabbi brought this prostitute into into my house? Why is he allowing her to kiss his feet and to weep over his feet? Yet she was in a better spiritual position of wholeness and healing than him who needed a good dose of breaking. Sometimes God loves us too much to leave us in a place of unbrokenness spiritually. And so sometimes God will send a breaking event into your life with the express purpose of bringing you into a place of spiritual brokenness. That's why when I think of that scripture I gave you from Matthew about falling on the rock and you break, but if the rock falls, 
falls on you, you'll be shattered. In my mind, I've often thought, you know, if you, if you go to the Lord, if you, you bring the issues up, if you ask the Lord to help you, if you are spiritually broken, relying on the Lord, if you really assess your life and know that without God, you, you are nothing and that anything you achieve is of no worth at all and that your life is worthless without God and your achievements are worthless unless they come from God and all your efforts and all your, 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 your trying to be something or do something without God are meaningless and then you count those things as nothing, as rubbish, as dross and go to him and say, oh my God, I need you. You're in a very good place. Don't end up like many of us. I, I, I admit to you myself that there has been a season where uh, God let the rock fall on me. Seasons where, where God loved me too much to leave me where I was, that more brokenness was needed in my life for more wholeness and for more usability by God more brokenness was needed, but brokenness was not forthcoming from my heart. So God, in his infinite mercy, decided to let a rock or two fall onto my life. And a bit of, a bit of breaking, God broke me through some uh, scenarios and situations that I wish I'd never gone through. <laughs> but looking back, I'm glad that I've been through them. And so don't learn the lesson don't wait until God loves you so much to send a breaking scenario into your life. But go to him while you can, while things are good, while things are great. Go to him and, and have that contrite right heart. And the better things are, the more broken before him become. And the more things work and the more successful you are and the more blessing that comes, that's the dangerous place. It was dangerous for David. That's the place of brokenness. It was dangerous for Samson, who had all that power. And because he had all that power, he no longer relied on God, thought he could deal with, with uh, uh, loose women himself, thought he could deal with it himself. And in the end, God said, right, we'll see what you can deal with and what you can't deal with. But the greater and the blessings, when everything goes well, that's the time to really get with God and be broken and set yourselves uh, uh, these principles in your, in, in your life. I'm not going to go on for much longer, just trying to throw these things out for you to, to rest in, in, your, in your heart. Jesus was broken for us, you know, on the cross. He was broken and battered and bruised. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, you see the most wonderful picture of perfect spiritual brokenness in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, if you can take this cup from me, please take it. But if not, your will be done. How beautiful. The brokenness that's in that. The appeal, the desire that the cup could pass was real and genuine, but the brokenness that said, but your will be done, and then the brokenness that took place over the next 24 hours or so, as he was whipped and bruised and spat at and mocked and stripped naked and, and, and brought, great, brought to a place of great shame. And then on the cross, he was broken. And, and he said to his disciples on the night that he was betrayed, as he took bread, 
think of the powerful feelings Jesus must have as he took bread and broke it and said, this is my body, broken for you. And he knew that within a few short hours, his body would be broken, as it were, broken by the stripes, broken by the whips, broken by the crown of thorns, broken by the spear, broken by the nails in his hands, broken, broken, body broken again and again and again. And he was broken that we might be made whole as we seek spiritual brokenness. On Thursday, I took the funeral of a beautiful young uh, man or boy, young adult, 16 years old. Uh, born with severe autism, needing 24-7 care, seven days a week. And uh, the parallels between the family and my own family are reasonably similar. My daughter also had, uh, has severe mental problems. And so there were, there were, our journeys were the same in, in many, many, many respects. And, and as we were reflecting on the young boy's life and how he was broken in body, broken in mind, and yet this broken uh, boy, as I preached on the, on the funeral, I said, you know what? Disabled, broken, disabled, mentally disabled uh, people, especially mentally disabled children, they're angels sent from God. Angels sent from God. Angel simply means a messenger. And they carry a message to all that they had met. And this boy, whoever met him, was profoundly touched. In his broken body, God was speaking to people that were broken spiritually. I mean, in the wrong sense of the world. Their spiritual life was broken with God. And yet, in his need and in his vulnerability, God was speaking to people in his daily care that was needed. It's like God was saying, this child, and the parents were giving such an incredible testimony about his life, the trials and the difficulties, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times all together. And they were talking about the beauty of his dependency on, on those around him at every moment and, and, and how he was totally dependent yet totally trusting in his family and those that were close to him for everything that he needed. And what a wonderful picture of how we should be when it comes to the Lord. Not negatively, but wonderfully to say, Lord, I need you. Every hour I need you.